The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's continue to worship our great God by hearing from His Word. He said, our passage is Leviticus 12 and 15 this morning, and so Leviticus 12 was read for the scripture reading, and now we turn our attention to Leviticus chapter 15. Leviticus 15, beloved, let us be reminded, as we are every week, that this is God's pure, holy, altogether righteous word. Leviticus 15, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law for his uncleanness for a discharge, whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge. It is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one who with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is un- who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing and wash his clothes. And he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day, He shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. If a man has an omission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an omission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. 
When a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, whether it is the bed on any, or anything on which she sits. When he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two, tur two turtle doves and two pigeons, and bring them to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord and her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby, also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is, for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge, and for the man who lies with the woman who is unclean. Well, this concludes the reading of God's holy, pure, and inspired word. May he now be pleased to add his blessing to it. I bet you that you never thought there would be a time in your life where you would say, I'd actually want to hear a sermon on tithing. Who wants to hear a sermon on these things, on reproductive fluids? If this wasn't in the Bible, you would probably be questioning my character for standing up and speaking to you on this topic. Uh, these things are awkward, they're uncomfortable, and they are even gross, disgusting to a certain point. And yet that's likely the point. You, you see, these things that make us uncomfortable are private, are inside of us, and even gross and gross us out, are being used by God to picture the filth of our sin which brings about great shame. 
But these things pertaining to our first birth that are unclean are showing us the need for a new birth. Showing us the need for a Savior to be born unto us. And showing us then our need to be born anew. And it's a birth that God provides through our Lord Jesus Christ who is that burnt and sin offering. So for an outline today, just to organize our thoughts, uh, two considerations for why we need the, the new birth. The first is just talking about this filthiness, the refuse is what I call it. And then the second is the reason, the reason why God declares these things unclean, leading to our need for the new birth. So we begin first with the refuse or the filthiness, uh, why or that, that these things are declared unclean. And we begin in chapter 12 with the purification laws for a woman who gives birth. We see in verses 1 through 2, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days, as at the time of her menstruation she shall be unclean. So God says that if a woman gives birth to a son, she's unclean for seven days as at the time of her menstruation, which we see in chapter 15. But that's not all. Verse 4 goes on to say, She shall continue for 33 days in, her, in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. So she gives birth. She waits seven days. She has her son circumcised. And then she waits another 33 days. For a total period of 40 days, she is unclean and cannot enter into the temple and cannot touch or partake in any holy thing, such as a holy meal. And it's double for a female child, for a daughter. Look at verse 5. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. So for a daughter, her uncleanness is double of seven, which is 14, and then 66 days. So she's unclean for a period of 80 days for giving birth to a daughter, which is double a son. Now, some see this as proof that the Bible oppresses or devalues women, especially in our post-Karl Marx world. But the reason why it's double for a female child is not because the daughter or female is less valuable or more impure than a male. It's simply this. The male child goes through circumcision. He goes through that ritual that doesn't apply to the female. And so to make up for lack of that ritual, ritual the purification period is doubled. But then we read that the same offering is required for both, whether son or daughter, in verses 6 through 8. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring the, to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle, two turtle doves or two pigeons 
one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. So after giving birth, not only is the, is the mother to have a period of purity, which is one of the longest in the ceremonial laws, she is also to bring two offerings. But these offerings is not a thanksgiving offering or a peace offering. Thanking God for giving her a child, which is, to, which is considered a blessing from the Lord and not a curse. Rather, after giving birth, she is to bring a sin offering and a burnt offering. Things that cleanse and atone for sin. As it says here in verses 7 and 8, this is to make atonement for her. This was needed because she had given birth. But how can this be? Genesis commands childbearing. And Psalm 127 says that children are a blessing from the Lord. How can this require atonement and cleansing from sin? Well, we'll get back to that in a moment. But we go on to see other related uh, uh, things related to reproduction also requiring purification in chapter 15. Here in chapter 15, there's five genital discharges. Two of them are abnormal, that is coming from a disease or a defect, and three of them are normal genital discharges. The first one mentioned is in verses 2 through 15, which is an abnormal discharge for a male, either a constant flow, leakage, or a blockage in the male member. Uh, this is a type of gonorrhea, or disease, or infection. As long as he has it, he is impure and unclean. And his uncleanness spreads to anything he sits on or lies on. Anything he touches with unwashed hands also becomes impure. And whoever touches the things he makes impure or him becomes ceremonially impure until evening and must wash. The female abnormal discharge is mentioned in verses 25 through 30. And this is abnormal bleeding that is not her menstruation. This too is some sort of infection or disease. And she is also unclean as long as she has this. And like the man, anything she lays on or sits on becomes unclean and must be ceremonially washed. Anyone who touches her or touches anything she makes unclean becomes unclean until evening. And with both of these, we see in verses 13 through 15, and verses 28 through 30, they must count seven days from when the time they are healed and wash. And then on the eighth day, they are to offer up a burnt offering and a sin offering consisting of two birds. And this is what purges God's house, it says there. Because this impurity, even though they haven't entered in his house, ties to his house that they cannot come into God's presence until they are cleansed. Now we see normal genital discharges, as not as a result of disease or defect. The first one is for the man in verses 16 through 17, and this is a nocturnal or nighttime emission. He is impure for a day and must ceremonially wash and wait until evening, and every article of clothing he touches must be ceremonially washed, but there's no sacrifice required. The normal discharge of the woman is in verses 19 through 24, and that's menstruation. Now, because this lasts several days, 
She is impure for seven days. And again, whatever she touches is unclean and must be washed. But no sacrifice is required. The fifth and final type of normal discharge is in verse 18, and that's intercourse. Both the man and the woman must ceremonially wash after this and remain impure until evening. And that's lawful intercourse within marriage, because if it wasn't, then they would be put to death. But here, this is just their impure until evening. Now, why are these considered impure and require purification? I mean, normal bodily discharges are God's design. Abnormal discharges, while disgusting, are not necessarily the fault of the individual. It's just the world we live in. And intercourse within marriage is not inherently sinful. And then to go back to giving birth, giving birth is not sinful either. Even though God specifically says that the atonement is made for her flow of blood of her pregnancy, it's still God's design. She can't help it. So why does God require purification and sacrifices for any of these things? And this brings us to the second consideration revealing our need for the new birth. We see what was considered unclean and filthy, things that aren't inherently that so. So why does God consider these things unclean? That brings us to the second consideration, which is the reason. First, I just want you to notice once again that these deal with reproduction. Giving birth in chapter 12 and the fluids mentioned for both male and female in chapter 15 are associated with reproduction. But why do these things pertaining to reproduction considered unclean? Well, this is where we need to consider the whole storyline of the Bible. Because of Adam's fall into sin, we are born with a corrupt nature. We are born in sin. David says this in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Sin begins at, conce at conception. Because Adam, who represented us, fell into sin, we inherit his corrupt nature. We inherit his fallen sin nature through the first birth. We are all born fallen Sinners. And experience teaches this. We don't need to teach our children to disobey. We don't need to teach them to be self-focused. We don't need to teach them to be deceitful. We don't need to teach them to fight and quarrel. We don't need to teach them to whine and complain. Even the kid that grows up and disrespects the mother and father is ungrateful for what they do. That flows out of the sin nature. We actually have to teach them against that. We have to teach them obedience. And most importantly, we have to teach them the gospel that they may be saved from their sin. We are born corrupt. As David said, we are born in iniquity and conceived in sin. 
And the uncleanness that God assigns to birth and reproductive fluids here pictures this for us. Remember from last week, this was true of also the animals that God had made. There's nothing inherently wrong with these animals. God made them. But sin entered the world. And now this is a world of death. This is a a world of sin. This is the world of the curse. And God then identifies certain animals as unclean because of a close association with the curse, with death, with the ground, with abnormalities. He is using these things to highlight that we are cursed, that we are in a sin-cursed world, and that is the way it is for man. Man is born sinful. Sin is inside of us. We tend to blame outside circumstances for sin, but in reality, the outside circumstances that press in our heart simply reveal what's on the inside and squeeze out what's on the inside, not put it into us because sin flows from us. What flows out of us is unclean because we are unclean. And this is what God is communicating to us in these clean and unclean distinctions. And what God particularly cursed for the woman was her childbearing. Remember that back in Genesis 3. And so the longest purification is on the woman after she has given birth. Now God did not arbitrarily assign a lengthy period to uh, the woman giving birth just because he wanted to punish her more harshly. Rather, the numbers have symbolic significance. The number seven signifies completion or perfection. And so she had to wait seven days after giving birth and then double seven uh, if it was for a daughter, signifying the perfection or completion of purity that was needed. And then the number 40 symbolizes a generation. And so waiting 40 days after giving birth to a son and 80 days for a daughter uh, signifies the uncleanness of another generation that has been birthed, requiring the need to be cleansed. Now there's also another significant number, and that is the number 8. According to Leviticus 12.3, circumcision occurred on the 8th day. And both the man and the woman that offered a sacrifice to cleanse for their abnormal discharge offered up their sacrifice on the eighth day. The number eight in Scripture signifies a new creation. Seven is used to symbolize this creation because God created everything in six days and then topped it off with a seventh day rest. So the number seven signifies this creation. Well, the number that comes after seven, which is eight. Now, some of you, I know some of you are probably going to come up to me afterwards and say, I learned something from your sermon. You'd be really excited. And you're going to say, I learned from your sermon that eight comes after seven. Don't have anyone in mind in particular. And so the number that comes after seven, which is eight, symbolizes that which comes after this creation, which is the new creation. And so the new creation is the answer to the filth and stain of our sin. 
I consider circumcision, which occurs on the eighth day. Circumcision is a sign of new life. It's a sign of the new creation. The physical removal of the foreskin of the flesh. That which produces sin, that produces that first sinful birth. Pointed to the spiritual removal of the sinful foreskin of the heart. This is what God wanted all along, as He says in Jeremiah 4.4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. God said, I want you to circumcise your heart. Not just a physical member, but your heart. But this is not something that God's people can do, but rather something that God promises to do. As He says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. This is what circumcision pointed to. The removal of the foreskin and the sinful flesh that's within us. And how does this happen? Well, the Apostle Paul declares in Colossians 2, In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. How? By the putting off of the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Notice the connection between uncircumcision of flesh and being dead in sin and trespasses. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He has set aside, nailing to the cross. Every genuine believer has gone through circumcision. Not the circumcision outwardly made with hands, but the circumcision of Christ, coming by dying with Christ, being buried with Christ, being raised with Christ to newness of life, receiving His resurrected life. That is the believer's circumcision. It is the circumcision of Christ in being united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection so that the old self, the old dead self, is put to death, buried in the grave, and the new self is raised to newness of life. This is how we are circumcised. This is how that old man is set aside. And this is how we receive the new man, which is Christ's resurrected life, Christ in us. And we see this prefigured in Leviticus 12 and 15 with the burnt offering and sin offering for the impurities that come from the first birth being offered up on the eighth day. And this circumcision also comes by the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Romans 2.28-29, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor a circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. 
And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. So circumcision comes by the work of the Holy Spirit on the heart when He unites us to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and causes us to be born again. Who gives us this new heart. Takes out the heart of stone. Gives us the heart of flesh. This is God's work. Even though God says, you need to circumcise your heart. He calls us to do it, but we can't do it. God is the one who does it. God is the one who takes out our heart of stone and gives us the heart of flesh. And this is refers to regeneration. That is the new birth. And this is what Jesus was talking about in John 3 where he tells Nicodemus that his first birth as a Jew is nothing. Rather, one must be born again. One must receive a new birth. And this is because the first birth only produces spiritual deadness and uncleanness. Therefore, we need the new birth. Born not of the will of man or of the will of the flesh, but born of God being made spiritually alive in Christ. And this is how we participate in the new creation. This is how we become a new creation. It's through the new birth, not the first birth. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away and the new things have come. And this is what Leviticus 12 and 15 is showing us. The first birth simply carries the spiritual disease and uncleanness, that we are unclean on the inside. Therefore, we need a new birth. Adding religion, going to church, doing spiritual disciplines does nothing to change your unclean nature. You must be born again. And this is something that Christ gives as a free gift. We see this in Mark's Gospel, where we have a desperate woman with a flow of blood for 12 years. This would be that admirable discharge from Leviticus 15. That's what she has. And she would be unclean the whole time. She would be prevented from entering into God's presence because of her uncleanness. She would need to stay away from others. She would be separated from God and separated from others because of her uncleanness. And she's tried to remedy it. But it only made matters worse as she tried with human efforts and human methods. All it did was make it worse. And you can imagine how desperate she is. You're constantly unclean. You have tried everything for a dozen of years to no avail, but it only makes it worse, and you are out of options. And beloved, this is a picture of the greatness of our sin and misery. How many of us, before coming to Christ, or how many of you even maybe now, tried, you knew you were unclean, and you tried, and you tried, and you tried to no avail? That's what this is picturing here. But even though all else had failed, she had faith in Christ to the degree that she was convinced that all she had to do was touch his garment. 
Now, by doing this, she would make all whom she pushed against to get to Christ unclean. And she would make his garment unclean. That's probably why she just wanted to touch his garment, because she didn't want to make Christ himself unclean. Maybe it would just be his garment that he would have to wash. So she says, I'm just going to touch his garment. Even though she would make people unclean, she risked it and went ahead and touched it, knowing that it would heal her. But Jesus perceived that power went out from him and asked who touched him. And you can imagine the fear of this woman. I just made, I'm caught. I just made people unclean. Because in this system, Levitical law says she broke it. And she made not only the crowd unclean, she also made Jesus' garment unclean, as far as she knew. And so Jesus kept persisting. Who did it? And then she finally broke down and confessed that she's the one who touched him and explained why. And Jesus declared to her, not condemnation, but an assurance of pardon. Daughter. Daughter. She's a child of his. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And this physical healing of the physical uncleanness is a picture of the spiritual healing and spiritual cleanness that Christ Himself brings through simple faith in Him. Trying to heal or cleanse ourselves and do it on our own or human methods only makes things worse. But all we need to do is simply trust Christ. Know that we are unclean. And know that we need Christ and rely on His death, burial, and resurrection alone as the only remedy for all our uncleanness. All it takes is a simple touch of His garment. That is simply looking to Him, simply trusting in Him that He took care of all your sin by His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And you are washed clean. And you can know for certain that if you have trusted in Christ, you have been made well, and you walk in the peace of knowing that you have been cleansed, even as you continue to struggle against your sin. And He has given assurance of this to you who believe in the tangible picture of baptism. That through your union with Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection, you have been washed. You are clean. And because of this, we are enabled by His grace to put off all practical filthiness. The tree has been made good through the new birth. And so now it begins to bear good fruit. Because of our new life, from our new birth of the Spirit, we are to set aside all filthiness and wickedness, as James and Peter says. We are to put to death our sin. Not only in outward deeds, but also in inward inward thoughts, inward desires. We are to put away all private and impure thoughts and desires. Yes, they rise up and wage war against our soul all the time, as 1 Peter 2 says. Yes, it is a constant battle because of the remaining corruption within. But because we have, we in here who believe, have a new heart, a new life, from a new birth in our new creation. 
Let us continue to fight the good fight. And setting aside the filth of the old man, which was left buried in the grave, and put on the things of the new man, created in the image of Christ in true holiness and righteousness. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, Since we have these promises, beloved, promises of the gospel, the promises that we are cleansed, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement in body, of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us in our struggle against sin. We feel that pollution and filth within. We are often weighed down as we fight against it and don't always win. And we can carry around that shame and guilt. But help us remember that we who have touched the garment of Christ are cleansed. To hear again, as we have heard in the pastoral prayer, the assurance of pardon, that we are clean, that we can go in peace knowing that we have been healed from our disease. We ask, Father, that as a result, you would give us great encouragement and motivation to keep fighting, to keep putting sin to death from the life and because of the life we have in Christ, because we have been born again, because Christ has provided everything we need, not only for our justification, but also for our sanctification, because we have Christ's life in us, because we are alive, because of the new birth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we turn now to... You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.